This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And Machoikas. We're going to talk today about where Machoikas comes from most of the time. Most of the time. All the time. Let's go to Pasha's Kayak. And Kairach, Ben Yitzha, Ben Kahas, Ben Levi, Ben Dothan, Ben Aviram, Ben Eliyav, Ben Peles, Ben Ruvain. Right? What'd he take? Lunch? A backpack? A bottle of Coke? His car? His camel? The passing doesn't say what he took. It just says, Vayikach Kairach, Ben Yitzha, Ben Kahas, Ben Levi, and Dothan, Aviram, and Om Ben Peles, Ben Ruvain. So we don't know what he took. What did he take? Anyone here know what he took? Himself. What does that mean he took himself? Zod Rashi. What did he take? He took himself to one side. In order to argue, to say that he wanted to be the client. But someone who causes machlekes is very smart because... No one in this room wants to get into a fight. So the, the opening statement always sounds very innocent. Last week, when the Maradnan came back from Eretz Yisrael, they said, it's a land, Eretz it's a land that flows with milk and honey. Everyone's like, oh, good report. And then, boom, but, the giants, but, everyone's dying. But, the land eats it. But how do you get someone's attention? Not with a negative statement, with a positive statement. So the, the first thing, right, so what did Karach do? He said the following. They went to fight with Moshe and Aaron. The whole Jewish nation are all holy. So with a very positive comment, Ooh, we're also holy, right? And then he said, who do you think you are? Right, who do you think you are that you... That you that you elected Aaron as Kohen Gadol and you took yourself as to be the leader, but his opening comment was, "We're all created equal. Everyone has a right. Everybody has rights." Sort of what's happening in our generation. No, there's no father, mother, children. The children are the father and the mother. They tell their parents where to go and what to do. There's no lineage. So that's that's what Kara came to Moshe Ben. He said, "We're all we're all equals." Why are you? Why are you the leader? Why is he a kind God? No, we're all equal. Same gender, same thing in our generation. No, we're all equal. Parents are equal. Children are equal. Baruch Hashem, we're in the middle of our book. My safer, I hold. I feel. I hope Hashem should um, that the book that we wrote on on Hakar Satov, which is a lesson of Dan Hakar Satov. I think we're up to fifteen thousand copies that we sold since we wrote it. Baruch Hashem, and it's very important Hakar Satov. But I think that the book that we're writing right now. On Hilchas Kivud of Aim, which is some people are going to be in for a big surprise, the laws of Kivud of Aim and the stories of Kivud of Aim. But it's a lesson a day. I'm writing a book together with the rabbi that did the Chavetz Chaim, the, the lesson a day on, on um, Hakar Tov. We're now writing a book on a lesson a day in Kivud of Aim. Every single day, another lesson in a halacha and a story of Kivud of Aim. It is a game changer because one of what. 
If you don't have parents, still the halacha of kibbutzim huge, huge halacha. Of course, because kibbutzim. No, 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 no. You're not allowed to even after your parents die. You're not allowed to use their name. Let's say my father's name, like I said, is was Yaakov, right? And I'm talking to all of you. There's a Shiloh I'm even allowed to say the name Yaakov. He's not alive. I'm not allowed to say the name Yaakov in Hitler's Kibbutzim because that's his name. And and that's something else. But but that's something else. But but also you're not allowed to curse him. You're not allowed to say bad things about him. You're every mitzvah that you do that you do for the Eli Nut Neshama is a din of Kibbutzim. So it's Kibbutzim is never over. It's never over. You can do Kibbutzim. Uh, I hope that what I'm doing in this world. Is honoring my father in, my, uh, in the next world, and and treating my mother right is kibbutz of aim to my father. He's not here, but when I treat my mother right, I'm doing kibbutz of to to my father. That's why the halach is: if you have a stepfather, you don't really have a halach of kibbutz of aim to your stepfather. He's not your father, but when you honor him, you're giving respect to your mother. When you dishonor him, you're disrespecting your mother. There's so much halacha that what? You're not Machai Ben Atari, he's not your father. But I'm not talking about an adopting. I'm not talking about someone who adopted you. I'm talking about someone who married your mother. If you if God forbid your mother dies, you're not Machai to give him any kibbutz of aim. Your stepfather, he, there's no he's not a relative of yours anymore. But as long as you give him respect, you're giving your mother respect. As long as you give your stepmother respect, you're giving your father respect. So there's a lot of halachas that we don't know, and it's taking us a lot longer to write than we thought. Because there's a lot of modern, a lot of modern questions today, um, but it's huge. It's huge. And one of the one of the problems is that there's no division. There's no division. Kids feel that I have the same right as my parent. Like, why does my parents have a bigger right than me? Because it says in the Torah that it's not really not up to you. So yeah, and, and it seems to be that the New Testament is um, that the parents have to honor their kids. Kavid es bitov es bitecha. It's the New Testament. It's not an Torah, but it seems to be that parents have to honor their kids. You have to give. You have to treat your kids correctly, and you can't abuse them. You don't have to honor them. You don't have to give up your chair for them, and you could sit in their seat, and you don't have to. If you have one pillow in the house give it to them, there's no halacha of honoring your children. You have to show them, well, about showing them respect, they have to earn it. In my, my book. You want respect? The parents should give a child respect? The child has to earn the respect. It's not automatic. You disrespect me, I don't have to respect you. But if a parent disrespects a child, the, the child still can't disrespect the parent. So you have to get out of the way. Just don't, don't be there. Better to run out of the room, but you can't answer them back. No matter what they do, you cannot answer them back. And if someone who curses his parent, it's Chayv Misa. So a parent has to be careful not to, God forbid, hit their child, because then their child hits them back, and they make a Chabura. My father, wasn't. I wasn't allowed to play hockey against my... We had a hockey league in my basement. I wasn't allowed to play hockey, the Rub said, and my father was upset about it, but I wasn't allowed to play hockey against my father. Because if I would body check him or hit him with the puck or a stick and cause him a chabura, I mean, Yechayi Misa. If you cause the appearance of black and blue mark or, or cause him to bleed. And the, the, the Shulchan talks about 
letting blood. If, if he's a doctor and he has to take a, do a blood test on his father, he has to give it to another doctor. So I'll take a blood test unless there's no one else. So he can't even take a blood test if his father needs a blood test. It's going to open up a lot of eyes. It's uh, it's uh, and we hope to make sure that every yeshiva has it because you know what? Every girl in this room, every woman in this room, do you ever sit in a class? Hilchas kibbutzavim. Hilchas kibbutzavim from the Shulchan Aruch. They learned it with you inside. No, not question answer. Learning through the huh? Well, okay, maybe the Sephardic schools do that, but the Afghans... Really? I, I, I went to Yeshiva, and we never went to Hilchus Kibbutzavim. And then there's another thing in Shulchan Aruch called Hilchus um, Talmud Torah and Hilchus, the halacha of respecting your Rebbe. It's a whole thing on how to respect your Rebbe. Not, I didn't write a book on that. But, uh, but Hilchus Kibbutzavim is huge. So, what? Right, and a father to teach a Torah is like your Rebbe. So there's a Mishnah... There's a Mishnah in the Gemara, and the Mishnah says the following. The Mishnah says that if your Rebbe and your father were captured, and they're going to kill one of them, and it's up to you to make the choice who, they sh- who should be saved. You can save one of them, right? They said, you pick who you want to save, you can save one of them. Now, luck is, you have to save your Rebbe. Not your father. Why? The Gemara says, your father brought you into this world for 70 years. Your Rebbe brought you to the next world forever. Now, I remember there was Rabbi Horowitz, Oliver Shalom, and we were learning this, and I, I raised my hand, and I said, I said, Rabbi Horowitz, it's not a Gemara you could keep. I'm really sorry. Uh, I like my Rebbe, but if they had a gun to my Rebbe's head, and a gun to my dad's head, kill my Rebbe. <laughs> Don't kill my father. So, like, how could the how could the how, how could the Gemara say that? Who in this room would pick your Rebbe's life over your parents? Well, maybe somebody. But if you have a good relationship with your parents, who would pick your Rebbe, all right, above your parents? Nobody. So I said, I don't understand the Gemara. So he looked at me. and He said, You don't understand the Gemara. What the Gemara is saying that the father should make sure he teaches his son Torah because if he teaches his son Torah, he's a father and a Rebbe, and that goes before Rebbe. So it was a Musar. You shouldn't just be a parent. You should teach your children Tyra. That's what the Gemara is trying to tell you. Right? You need to be both. Anyway, so here... Yeah. We don't take questions, but okay. We'll make an exception. If a parent tells you to go against Allah, you don't listen to your parent because Hashem comes before your parent. Because your parent is chayiv to give respect to Hashem. So therefore, if your parent says something, Hashem says something. Since your parent has to give respect to Hashem, Hashem comes first. So what do you say? Like no. I'm really sorry, but I can't. It's against halacha. I can't do it. So you say it nicely. Ma, I think I might have learned in class that we should wait till after Avdol. Not Ma, you don't know anything? Like, you don't know how to look? No, you can't talk like that, ever. It has to be, it has to be said in a nice tone and a, and a respectful tone. It's not simple, Kibbutz Avim. It's very hard to keep Kibbutz Avim. It's not simple. Not, huh? How do you deal with, like, a sibling that does that to, like, a parent? And then, like, you want to defend your parent, but... That's between you and your sibling. It happens to be, the Shulchan Aruch says that your oldest sibling 
there's also a little bit of a halacha of Hilchus Kivr of Aim, like to an older brother. Not on the same level, but it's... You read the book, you'll see. No, I mean, like, what is it? What? What do you mean by respecting your older brother? Oh, when is it coming out? Hanukkah. It's taking a long time to write. It's got... Yeah, it's, it's 180 days, 180 lessons. Um, we started last a little after last Hanukkah. It's a year. The other one also took a year. This is very, very complicated, and everything has to be checked and rechecked. And I got some crazy stories that he'll just give it away. Rabbi Gamliel wrote a book on he'll just give it away. I meant like, if your sibling disrespects, you should talk to your sibling not to do it, but it's his problem, not your problem. Why? It's not a chumrah. Then, then you have to, then you have to listen to them. Your chumrah, your halach. If you don't eat, well, I don't eat chalavakim. I only eat chalavistral. My father says, I want you to eat chalavakim. I don't, I don't have to. Because that's my halach. My chumra became my halach. That's what I keep. I have other people that don't, but that's my halach. That's what I keep. So if you light five minutes before Shabbos, and your mother says, no, I don't want you lighting five minutes before Shabbos, your halach became, your chumra became your halach. So you cannot listen. There are three things that you don't have to listen to your parents. According to halach, there's no kibbut of aim. They cannot use kibbut of aim. One is who you marry. If you come home with a guy and they're like, we're not coming to your wedding. We're telling you kibbut of aim, you're not allowed to marry him. You don't have to listen. There's no din of kibbut of aim and who you have to marry. It's a shock, right? It's a shocker. That's a shocker. What? Right, but there are three things you don't have to listen. There's another thing you could say. My parents know me and they had the sixth sense. I should listen to them, but not from halacha. There's no halacha of listening to your parents and who you should marry. They cannot say, cute over him, you, have to, you can't marry him. No. Or you have to marry him. No. There's no halacha. What? That's one. Of course, we have to, we have to digest that one. <laughs> because most people would say, many parents tell their kids, I said you can't, I said you can't, you can't, you can't marry him. Give it a aim. And they call me up, I'm like, no, it's not give it a aim. There's no halacha to give it a That's one. Two is if you want to go learn Torah, it's not really for girls that much, but if you want to go learn Torah by a certain Rebbe, and your parents say, we don't want you to go to that land, we're scared that it's dangerous, you don't have to listen. So the kids who go to Israel, who they feel they'll learn much better in Eretz Yisrael, and their parents are like, we don't want you to Israel, there's bombs and scuds and stuff like that. Well, halacha, you don't have to listen. If you can't get that Torah here in America. Meaning you can't get it. No, you don't have a kaisal. You know, it, it, no, it depends. You come to Ataris Nava and Venos Bina, you, you know, it's like being in Eretz <laughs> We even have the kaisal painted on the wall in the office. And number three, if they tell you that you can't have this, this is a big one for everyone in this room. You ready for this? They tell you you can't talk to this and this friend. That's a That These are like so, things that just come up every year. Right, so, so the Shulchan Aruch says, says there was a family... And they didn't want their kids to talk to this other family. They had bad blood between them. They had bad blood between them, these two families. 
and they told their kids, we don't want you talking to this family, Shulchan Aruch says you don't have to listen. Those are the three things. Now, if your parents tell you the kid is bad for you, and you're going to take you off to Derach, that's something else. But if they had a fight with the parents, let me, let me clarify, you have to know this very clearly. The, 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 the halacha and the Shulchan Aruch, don't turn your, your uh, tapes off because you're going to miss the whole halacha. Can't do a hal- oh, you have a wall, you said, I'm going to listen to you. No. Now, luck is like this. If the parents had a fight, let's say the, the freedmen's had a fight with the cones, right? And the freedmen's tell their children, you, we don't want you talking to the cones. You don't have to listen. But if the cones have technology at home and movies and stuff like that, and the freedmen parents say, we don't want you going over there, because it's not a good place for you, you do have to listen. The only time you don't have to listen is if they had a fight. In other words, the parents had a fight, and they want to bring the kid into the fight and say, you can't talk to them. Allah, those are the three things you don't have to listen. Everything else, you got to listen. Kibbut HaVeim is big. And it's not, it's not going to give them long life. It's going to give you long life. And you know the reason it will give you long life? I figured it out. What does it mean it will give you long life? First of all, it says... Long life in the next world. Because you see some people do kibbutz of him, they die young. But they're really good kids, and they die young. It means you're, you're mecha, you're in your mecha, 80, Chazal say 80 years, 90 years is not yurich in your mecha. It's nothing. Yurich in your mecha means it's sitting in Ganadian forever. That's what it really means, yurich in your mecha. But, it's sort of a guarantee that if you treat your parents right, that your kids will treat you right. Because, when your kids go off to Derech and they, they fight with you and all that, that gives you a lot of agita and that, that tension and frustration and that shortens a person's life. So if you want to guarantee that your kids won't treat you wrong, treat your parents right. It's all, it's all um, what's it called? It's all DNA, spiritual DNA. So, so what he was saying over here, Korach, he was breaking down the lines of command. He's like, we're all equal. Why are you a Kohen? And why, why are you the leader? No, we're all equal. We're all holy. No. You were Levi. You had a job. Kohen has a job. Israel has a job. Every single person is in this world to do a certain job. No, we're not all equal. We're all human beings and we all have different jobs. But, but you know, if you're left, if you're, well, baseball, but if you're a left fielder, you're not playing first base. Right? If you're a first baseman, you're not playing left field. If you're good at, you know, I'm not good at singing. You never heard my voice singing, trust me. I'm not good at singing. Right? I got to know that I'm not good at singing. I might be able to talk a little bit, but I can't sing. So you, you need to know that. Like, you're not a singer. Don't get up at a chuppah and, and try to be the singer. It is not going to happen. Right? There's, there, there, there's two ways to stender. You know what a stender is? Do we have a stender here? Is there a stender behind me? What? So there's a stender, you know, where you, where you speak on, how do you call that, pulpit? Podium. Podium. Podium, where you speak. So it's either facing two ways. Either it faces the crowd, you're a speaker, or it faces the Arna Kodesh, you're, you're the leader of the prayers. Some people are good facing the Arna Kodesh, some people are good at facing the crowd, some people are not good at either, and some people are good at both. you got to know your place. Everyone has to know your place. you got to look in your backpack, see what you have. See what you can do, and you got to use that to help others. Korach was breaking down the lines. He's like, no generals, no lieutenants, no sergeants in the army. Everyone's a private or everyone's a general. Doesn't work. Too many cooks, 
spoil the brew in the kitchen. You can't have everyone as a cook. Not everyone can be the head chef. So that was what he was doing over here. He was trying to, to break the line. And he was saying, we're all holy. Now that made a lot of people happy who were jealous of what Moshe and Aaron were. And they're like, hey, yeah, you're right. Like, What makes him different than me? I could be like him also. And he got these 250 followers because of that. Who went against Moshe and, and went against Moshe now? But the basis of it all, where it came from, was jealousy. That's where it came from. Machlokes comes from jealousy. When you are jealous of someone else, so you want to take them down. That's machlokes. You know, it, it's not even. It's not even what you get. It's what the other person has. Even if I don't need it. Even if you don't need it, right? You you don't drive. But the guy's driving a Lamborghini. It's like, oh my God, why does he deserve that? And I don't. And if you had one, what would you do with it? You don't drive. Right? It doesn't matter. It's not about, it's not about whether you need it or not. It's about why does he have it. That's what jealousy is. So I saw something this week was very, very cute. Very fascinating, actually. So there's a story about a guy. Oh, I wonder what he is on there. Probably his blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> So there's a story about a guy that um, he's driving in his car on a very rainy night and he comes past a bus stop and standing at the bus stop are three people. One, a very beautiful girl. The minute he sees her, he knows, this is my shidduch. This is who I'm going to marry for life. She's exactly what I dreamt about. This is her. Next to her is a guy that once saves his life. Right? And they're all three getting soaking wet. And next to him is an old lady that's mom is dying. And he's driving a Corvette, two seats. And he pulls up to the bus stop. And he can only, right, he has to help one of them. Who should he help? If he helps the woman who's dying, then the, poor, the guy who saved his life is going to stay out in the rain. And he's going to drive off with her. And he'll never see that girl again. So the rest of his life, he's going to be single. If he helps the girl, the beautiful girl that he wants to marry, what happened to his Akar Satov for the guy who saved his life? And he's going to let that old lady die? And if he, if, he, if, he, if he saves the guy that he owes a life, the old lady's going to die and he's going to lose the girlfriend. So there was this huge company, I think it was a law firm, and every, they, need, they were looking for a lawyer and they got 400 applicants. And they asked every applicant this question and they said, the guy who gets it right gets the job. So one guy said, the girl, you got to get married. One guy said, lady's dying, everyone had different answers. You could all think in your, in your mind, Nadine, who do you think we should save? They're going to sit on top of each other. No, no, they can't sit on top of each other. It's not a trick question. It's not a trick question. No, Who would you save? You could save only one. There's no room to sit on top of each other. Who would I save? Who would you save? You would save? Which guy? The guy who saved his life? Yes, I would also take the guy. So you let that old lady die and, and, and lose out on his... The lady is dying. Like, she's old. She's what about his... <laughs> what a... What? You what? You would save the old lady. Okay, I, I answered the question. I said I would save the old lady. Why? The guy that the guy that the guy that you owe your life to, right? So I'll get another chance to save him. He's alive. The girl, somehow I'll figure out how to find her. But the old lady, if she dies, like it's, it's irreversible. I'm totally wrong. We're wrong, we're wrong. And you're also wrong. And you're also wrong. He just went on. Get out of the car. Give the keys to the guy who saved your life. Tell him to take the old lady to the hospital. 
and wait for the boss with the girl. Godless. It's godless. One guy out of 400 got it right. And he got the job. All other 399 got it wrong. Why? Why did everyone get it wrong? Listen, it's a, it's a psychology question. Why did everyone else get it wrong? Because everyone else remained in the car. Because it's about us. So like, I'm in the car, and it's raining. I'm not getting out of the car. I'll, I'll take one of them. But one guy wasn't selfish, and he said, I'll get out of the car. I'll get wet. But I'll make everything else work. Yes, it was on, it was, what happened? It's off? It was on the, it was on the table half the time. Okay. You hear? That's the difference. That's the machlikas part. Everyone else, when they answer, they're like, I'm in the car. Okay, I can only put one in the car with me. But the one guy they were looking for to give him the job was the guy that was thinking outside the box. I'm not in the car. I don't need to be in the car. I can get wet. I want the girl. Save the other two. Godless. It's godless. That's a good one to go home with tonight. Right? I was wrong. I said save the old, of course what I say, save the old lady. What? Usually I'm out of the box. This time I was in the box. I would save the old lady. What do you mean? The other two are alive. You know, her life said, Pekuach Nefesh, Deichas call. You know, I'm thinking Jewish. So you save the old lady. The guy you owe your life to is now dry. He's in a car. And you're spending the rest of the time with the girl. And you're going on the bus with her. You got her. She's not going anywhere. So the whole reason you don't think like that is because I... I have to be in the car. I'm not getting out of the car. Subconsciously. You're not thinking it consciously. You think it subconsciously. Zot Rashi! Kairach! What did Kairach do? He took the eye! He took the eye! And he took the eye and he stepped aside. He said, it's about me! Why should Moshe be the leader? Why should Aaron be the Kohen? I need to be the leader in the Kohen. When there's an I, there's no us. Because the letter I is not in the word us. The only letter vowel in the word us is you. If I want to have a relationship with someone, there should be an us, there has to be a you. If there's an I, it's is. It's I-S, it's not us. And that's the beginning of this week's passion. You want to know where the machlekes came from? He wasn't willing to get out of the car. It was about him. And when it doesn't work. You can't save all three of them if it's about you. And we can leave right now, and you had the lesson of the night. You don't need any more of a share from me. This is really covers it all. But it's early. You're going to come home early, they're going to be like, what happened? So I'm going to tell you two amazing stories about the no eye. Not, there's no, not being an eye. One of them is about Ramayisha Feinstein, Oliver Shalom. So there's a new book, and I would tell everybody it came out last week. Mayor Zlatowicz, the, the one who started Archgold, who passed away a year ago. So they wrote a book about him. Okay, just came, Mama just came out, it's a week old. It's a book of his life, but if you read this book, it's a game changer. There's so many stories in this book about Ramosha, that was his Rebbe. It's Mama's a game changer. I want to read you a story from inside. I know that I lose a lot of people's attention when I look down and I'm reading a story. So all you ADD guys just have to hang in here. Okay? Here we go. So, he starts like this. In 1971, Rabbi Meir Zlatowicz and his wife were divorced. His first wife. It was an era when divorce 
was virtually unheard of in the community. Before the support networks that would be available years later existed. Nobody got divorced in the 70s. He was alone, a young father, she, she pretty much, whatever. She left him with the kids. He had the kids, three kids. A young father charged with the care of three young children, faced with a much heavier burden than a floundering business. At that time, it wasn't art scroll yet, and they were just doing invitations and ventures, and they were not doing well at all. It was just called, I think it was Masora at that time. It was a difficult time, but later he appointed that period as a time of blessing, because it was then that he developed the faith, resilience, and optimism that would allow him not just to succeed, but also to encourage others. We know that art scroll changed the world, the world of learning, the world of davening. It's, Torah has not been spread since the beginning of the world, like it has been spread by that, by Archko, by Rabbi Zlatowicz. Throughout his life, he would seek out those facing difficulties and reassure them that better days would come. As we, we always talk about the struggle muscle that you carry, okay. At the darkest point, the flicker of light that ushered in brighter days came from the most radiant man in Rav Meir Zlatowicz's world, his Rebbe, Ramosha Feinstein. It came at a time when Rameyer felt he had hit rock bottom. The business was in debt, he was raising three children on his own, and his friends were busy with their own lives while he was alone. He wasn't able to learn properly since after long wearying days at work, he was mamish, the, the dad and the mom. He would come home and take care of his children. So he was totally down, Rabbi Zlatowicz. So where do you go when you're down? You go to your Rebbe to get to get the chizuk. So he went to Rabbi Moshe's Lower East Side apartment, waiting in the familiar foyer, he had like a waiting room, for a chance to share his pain with his beloved Rosh Hashiva. But Rabbi Moshe was meeting with a group of Rabbanim involved in a complicated halakhic issue, and after Rameyer sat for many hours, the Rebbitin came out and apologized. Sorry, the Rosh Hashiva would not be able to see him after all. Rameyer was despondent, even this it seemed, the opportunity to unburden himself to his Rebbe was being denied to him. In other words, He's totally depressed, he's, it's, he's, and now he comes to see his Rebbe, and Hashem's not letting him see his Rebbe. You remember the story of Shmektavik I said many years ago? You know what a Shmektavik is, girls? You probably never saw it. So in Shul, um, in Hasidic Shuls, a, it's called snuff. And when you're like falling asleep on your kip or whatever it is, you snuff it, and it makes you sneeze. No one ever, ever see that? What? No, it's not cocaine. No, it's why it's why it's mostly brown. It smells from peppermint. It smells from spearmint. It's called it's called snuff in English. It's in a little round metal can. Tobacco. What? No, I don't know. Maybe that's a fancy word. But we we it's called snuff, right? It's called tabak. A schmeck a schmeck tabak means a smell of tabak. It's a very famous story. I don't know if I ever said it in Ornava. Um, so there was this very, very poor man, and he had no food. And there was a very wealthy man in town, and he was making a wedding for his daughter. And he's standing under the chuppah, and you should know that since I heard this story by my daughters, you'll, you'll hear what happens. He's standing under the chuppah, and this poor man, who has nothing to eat yet, because they didn't bring the food out yet. So one of the things it does for you, is if, like on Yom Kippur, it helps. When you're very hungry and you smell it, it sort of quiets down your hunger so he goes up to this man and the daughter, the rich man's daughter is going around seven times with Hassan the father standing under the chuppah and this poor man walks up to him and says Epis, can you give me a, a little snuff? 
And the man says, no, 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 not now. My daughter's walking around. Wait till after the chuppah. I'll give you. I have. I have. I'll give you. Poor man walks away, walks out of the wedding, turns up to Hashem and says, food you don't give me, water you don't give me, a house you don't give me, you won't even give me a shmek tavik. I can't even have a little snuff. And he starts to cry like crazy. What happens? After the wedding, this guy, this man who was very rich, loaded up two boats he was sending to Portugal to sell. They sunk. He lost all his money. He lost all his money. He comes to his Rebbe. Maybe it was a different time. I'm not sure which Rebbe it was. He comes to the Rebbe and he says, I don't know what I did. I lost all my money. I don't have a penny. I have no food. I don't have a drop of food on the table. What did I do, Rebbe? Rebbe says, I'll, I'll go into a dream tonight. I'll let you know. Next day he comes in. He says, you remember you had a wedding for your daughter? He goes, yeah. You remember there was a poor man that came to you and asked you for a shmektabik? Yeah. He says, you didn't give it to him, right? He says, no, I told him to come later. He said, he went out and said to Hashem that even a shmektabik I can't get. And Hashem said, because you did that to him, all your money went to him. Right. So he said, so he said, what? All my money went to him? He said, yeah, go to this in this town, look up Shmerel, the guy, whatever, and you'll see he became the richest guy. So he goes to the town, and the poor man that came to his wedding was now the richest guy. So he came back to the Rebbe, he said, what should I do? He says, in a month, the poor man is making, now, now he's a rich man, is making a wedding. Do to him what he did to you. Go when they're, when they're, when they're going around the, the, the Kala, his daughter, go ask him for a Shmektabik. If he doesn't give you, You'll get all your money back. So he waits for the wedding. The girl goes around. He goes up to the guy. He says, maybe you can give me a shmek tabik. So the poor man that's now rich looks at him and says, sure. He takes out four cans. I have mint. I have spearmint. And the guy faints out. Because it didn't work. They wake him up. Why, you faint, whatever. Anyway, he goes back to the river. He says, oh my gosh. He gave me the shmek tabik. What am I going to do? He says, go back. They became partners. They lived happily ever after, but not even a, not even a Shmek topic. So here, Ramiz Lodowitz, right, he's all down, he's all depressed, he's coming to Rabbi Moshe, who always used to see him, and he can't even get to see him. Right? So you can imagine, he walked away, he was very, very upset. Okay? He returns home, the load feeling heavier than ever before. The next day, New York suffers a major snowstorm, making car travel difficult, schools are closed, so the Ramey had to spend the time at home because he had his children home. They were, they were snowed in and he had to take care of his kids. That evening, as the harried young father struggled to get his children to bed, the doorbell rang. Ramey walks downstairs, opens the door. It's snowing outside, right? Wondering who would venture out on a snowy night. It was Ramesha Feinstein. The Rosh Hashiva, Paisik of the generation, leader of thousands, accompanied his Talmud up several flights of stairs, coming into the apartment and taking in the scene. Ramesha lifted one child, then the next, and finally the third one. He tucked each one into bed, telling each one a story and kissing them goodnight. Then when the house was settled, Ramesha looked at Ramea. I came to schmooze to hear what's on your mind. Ramea spoke, really spoke, sharing his doubts. But Shishiva offered him chizuk and gave him a bracha that his children will become B'nai Torah and they will marry B'nai Torah. You hear? There's no eye. Girl had door in a snowstorm. Didn't get a ride. He walked in a snowstorm, went upstairs, put three kids to sleep, told them stories, kissed them on the head. There's no I. In a gadol, there's no I. It's about everybody else. There's another story about Ramesha that I heard that I happened to have asked Ramesha Zlato, it's about, if it was true, that, that the Rosh Hashiva, Ramesha, Al-Rashalim, used to walk from Yeshiva home on Shabbos to the apartment buildings in Grand Street. It was a long walk. 
his, his granddaughters, he had two granddaughters that were nine years old, used to play in the park, and when he would walk by, they would come out to get benched for Shabbos. So they came to him one Shabbos, and they had two friends with them. And they asked her, Moshe, could he bench them? So he benched his two granddaughters. But the other two girls said, maybe, maybe Zaydi, they called him Zaydi, he wasn't there, Zaydi, maybe you could bench us too. So Moshe put his hands on their heads, and he benched these two girls that were not relatives of his at all. Rav David Feinstein was with him. Rav David said, nine years old, this chinuch, she's already old. How could Rosh Hashiva touch them on their head? They're already nine years old. So Rav Moshe said to him, I could find a hundred heterim to be able to touch a nine-year-old on her head, but I can't find one heter to hurt a kid's, children, hurt a kid's feelings. That's a gadol. It's a gadol. It's not, it's not about him. It's about... About everybody else, he brings down another story. What I see over here, not about Ramosha, but that's yeah. Don't, I'm in the middle of it. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing book. He was an amazing man, but there's so many good stories in there. Um, he says a story over here about Rabbi Akiva Ega. I don't know if you know where Akiva Ega was. He was the Gadol Hadar. He was Akiva Ega. Was the Eloi. He was he wrote the Akiva Ega. He was he was big, very very big. So he says that once Rabbi Akiva was traveling through the night on his way to take care of a mitzvah, heavy rain fell that night, turning the roads into mud. So Rabbi Akiva's shamish, his attendant, sensed that the wagon was going to sink in the mud, so he had no choice but to get out of the wagon and support it from the side. For a while, he walked alongside the wagon, sinking into the water and mud with each step. When the road conditions improved and the shamish, the attendant, returned to his seat in the wagon, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva Eger said to him, I'm sure your socks are wet, so here are dry socks to change into. Oh, the attendant gratefully accepted the socks. As they continued traveling, the attendant began to wonder where did Rabbi Akiva Eger get the socks from? The clothing that Rabbi Akiva had brought were packed in a locked trunk. In the morning, Rabbi Akiva Eger descended from the wagon, his attendant supporting him under his arm. To his concentration, the, attend, uh, the attendant noticed that Rabbi Akiva was without socks. He realized that, the, that while he was walking alongside the wagon, Rabbi Akiva had slipped off his own socks so that he could give them to his attendant when he returned them to the wagon because his feet were soaked to the bone. You're talking about Rabbi Kiva Eger was sitting there without socks. That's, that's the lesson that I want to bring home tonight. That, that the whole machlikas, the whole arguments and fighting that people have with each other, it's only because the I is so big. The I, I it's, it's me, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. So, so that was his whole statement, Korach. His whole statement was, we are holy just like you. But Yikah Korach, he took, he took himself, it was about himself, it wasn't about everybody else. He knew that everyone else would die. He knew that everybody else was going to die. Only one would be chosen. He thought it would be him, because he was a Levi. There were a lot of people there that were not Levi. He knew they were all going to die. He didn't care. He didn't care. There was a very, very famous woman in this week's parsha. It says, Om Ben Peles, there was someone named Om Ben Peles who went with Korach, right? So, Korach decided the next morning they were going to come and all going to bring Katiras. So it says that she went outside the tent. He was sleeping. She went outside the tent and she, un- she uncovered her hair. Korach was a big tzaddik, right? Except for the machlekes. <gasps> a guy whose wife uncovers her hair. We don't want him as part of our group. So they walked away and she saved his life. By the time he woke up, they were all dead. So they asked Akasha, why didn't she pull up her skirt? In other words, if she wanted to scare them away because she's not from, right? Why uncover your hair? Put, put your skirt a little bit above your knee. They'll be like, oh my God, 
This is not a front lady. She's not a tzinis lady. We don't want her. Why specifically did she uncover her here? So the Bnei Yehidah says, she was trying to tell Kairach to teach him a lesson. Why her hair? Because every hair comes from a different follicle. Every hair follicle, you have one hair that grows from each follicle. There's no two hairs in a follicle. So what she was trying to tell Kairach is, you're trying to be Moshe Rabbeinu, but what you should learn from a head of hair is that every hair doesn't try to get into the other follicle. Every hair comes from its own follicle. There's no two hairs coming out of one follicle. So she uncovered her hair and she said, look at my hair. I have a whole head of hair. I'm not bald. I have a whole head of hair. But each hair of my head of hair is an individual. Chaisrael is a whole head of hair. But no one's allowed to be in the other follicle. It's, each one grows its own follicle. That's what he says. That's why she didn't pull up her skirt. That's why she uncovered her hair. So we'll end with a Rashi that women do not like so much. And I apologize. But it's a very important Rashi. In Bereshus. And Rashi says the following. We've, talk, we've spoken about this Rashi before, but not for a while. So she's talking to the she's talking to the to the Satan, right? Um, and she's telling him about the tree, and she's not buying into anything until he says. Hashem knows the minute you're going to eat from the tree, your eyes will open up. Who cares? Hashem has something you don't have. You only know good, but Hashem knows good and bad. And he he understood. He was Aram. He was smart. That if I can get her to be jealous, then she'll eat from the tree. Because jealousy doesn't have to make sense. It's not about. I don't drive, but why do you have such a car? So, the minute he said that Hashem has something you don't have, it's a beautiful shot. She saw that the fruit was good to eat. You don't see that something's good to eat. You taste that something's good to eat. She looked at an apple. wasn't an apple. She looked at an esrig or a piece of wheat. How do you know it's good to eat? Maybe it's bitter. Maybe it's disgusting. So the only way you know something's good to eat is you have to bite into it. But here it says that she saw that it was good to eat. How do you see that something is good to eat? The answer is that once you're jealous, right, you didn't even taste it. But if Hashem can have it and I can't, it must be good. So it doesn't say she tasted it. She saw that it's good. It's good. If she has it, it's good. You don't need it. Maybe it's not good. Maybe it's terrible. No, she has it. I don't have it. It's good. And then the whole thing happens. Now Rashi says that Vatikach Mipirio she took from the fruit, she ate from it, and she gave it to her husband. And everybody asks, why did she give it to her husband? When she ate from the Eitz she became like God. She was able to see good and bad. Adam, everything was still good. Oh, you burnt the food? Good. You broke the dish? Good. He didn't know bad. She was like God. Her eyes opened up and she was like, God, why would, now you're above man. Why would you give him to eat from the tree? You were the mimshal. You were the man would serve the woman, not the woman served the man. So why did she give him to eat from the tree? She was way above him now. Zak Rashi. Because she said, even though I'm way above you, you have to die. Because 
if I die, because once she ate from the tree, she knew she would die, you have to die. So she wrote, Rashi says, why she didn't want that she will die and he will live. What, you're a mean person? Like, why, why, what does that mean? So Rashi, why? Why didn't she want him to live and she would die? Because she's going to marry, he's going to marry someone else. You are not going to marry anyone else. You're going to die like me. As Chazal, there was no one else. There was no other female in the world. What are you worried about? No, what are you worried about? And the answer is, when you're jealous, there's no logic. No logic. There's no other woman. I don't care. You got to die. I'm dying. You're dying. That's why she says it. Because she ate from the tree, and the reason she ate from the tree because she was jealous of Hashem. So that midah of jealousy was in the first avera that the human being ever did. That's why we struggle with it so much. And what happened? Her children killed each other. Cain killed Hevel because of it. Because he was jealous. His carbon went up and his carbon did not go up. So the DNA of that jealousy, right, came right out in the next generation. And then you had Yosef and his brothers, whatever. It, it didn't stop. It, doesn't, it didn't stop. And now you had Karach and Moshe Rabbeinu. It, it, jealousy makes no sense. You, sometimes you're like, what are you jealous of? Like, doesn't make sense. Why are you jealous of her? Right? And, and the person doesn't know why. It's just like, shh, I don't need it, but she can't have it. I'll tell you two short, two more short stories and we'll let you go. How long are we on? How long are we on so far? 45. 45. Okay, I'll tell you five minutes. Just five. Interesting thing about guys. So, there's a girl that I know that had a boyfriend for a few years and he went to Eretz Yisrael. She went to Eretz Yisrael and they didn't talk to each other and he became a big masmid and she really turned around. She really turned around she became very religious and she, whatever. She became a mechanecha, whatever. She, she really turned around. This guy, right, he, would not, he wouldn't talk to her anymore because guys, they don't want the bum girl that was a bum. They want the big tadekist, even though they were hanging out for three years. But no, you're not for me. I want, you know, Princess Di. So, so he gets married. I'm not going to say what yeshiva, but whatever. He, the whole time, she's not getting any shiduchim. Why? Because every time her name is mentioned, right, and they ask in yeshiva, he makes sure to say, oh, uh, you know what the two of us used to do? Are you crazy? You can't go out with her. So I went down to speak to him. I said, what are you doing? What are you doing? She's not saying what you used to do. You're married. You're married. Leave her alone. Let her get married. If you weren't married, you're married, your wife's pregnant, you have a good life, why do you keep bad-mouthing this girl? And the answer is, girls don't know this, the answer is that men, we, even if we don't want it, if we had it, you can't have it. So I have a baseball glove, I'm a lefty, right? I haven't played baseball in five years. It's my glove. You have to, a glove, baseball glove by a guy, you work it out, it's your glove, you don't use any other glove, the ball fits in the glove, whatever we should ask, we put in our head, my glove for 20 years. My son-in-law, Two years ago, said to me, he had a baseball game. He said, Tati, can I borrow your glove? I said, I don't know. I might have a game today. I didn't play, I didn't play in five years. I didn't play baseball in five years, right? But maybe someone's going to call me. They're going to call me and you're going to have my glove. I'm not going to have my glove. Why? Because even though I'm not going to use it, but you can't have my glove. It's a mentality. It's a mentality. It's a guy's mentality. 
It's like, it's my car, so you can't have my car. But, but you're not tati, you're not using it. I know, but just in case, something might, something might come up. Something might come up. So even though you don't want it, somebody else, somebody else is not allowed to have it. And that's, that's, that's the mida over here. That's, that's the mida. You, you, what do you mean? You don't need it, right? But automatically, you just, you don't want, you don't want someone else to have something that you had. And, and that's, that's, a, that's also part of the eye. You gotta get rid of the eye. It's like, it's a baseball glove. Give it to the guy. Let him play. Like, what? What are you worried about? Whatever it is. I forgot the other story I was going to tell you. I have no idea. Flew right out. That's what happens when you're ADD and you don't write things down. Anyway, um, so I want to end. I want to end this year. You should just know how far this machlekes went. It went to a point that when you start... Rav Gifter says something very interesting. There's a mission in Pirkei Elvis that Pirkei Elvis says like this. Any machlekes l'shem shemayim, it's gonna it's gonna be mekayim. Machlekes l'shem shemayim, it's gonna it's gonna be bottle. What's a machlekes l'shem shemayim? Hillel v'shamay, v'sulu v'shamay. What's a machlekes l'shem shemayim? Koyrach and against Moshe Rabbeinu. So he said something unbelievable. He said you have to translate it differently. Kol machlekes l'shem shemayim. When both sides are saying we're doing it l'shem shemayim, sefer l'shem machlekes will be forever. It'll never end. Yeah, you know, if someone asked me about a shidduch about this girl, I have to tell them the truth. I have to, you know, you're not doing, I'm doing the shame shemayim. I'm doing it, right? That's, you have to go deep inside yourself and realize it's not the shame shemayim. It's not what Hashem wants. You don't have to, you don't have to slaughter or destroy the girl, right? You could say it in a way that maybe they'll understand, you know, I get this all the time. Like, you could say she's not for you. That's fear. Why? Why is she not for me? I'm like, you're asking me a question. Right? You're my friend. I know you very well. I know her very well. What do you need to know why? What do you need to know why? If I'm telling you it's not for you, I'm Robert Wallstein, my student, you're my student, you're telling me, and I'm telling you, listen to me. If I even thought it was a 1% chance for you, I would read the shidduch, right? If I'm telling you, you're my boy, you're my Talmud, it's not for you. Why do you need to know why? That's not Lashem Shemayim, to know why. You have to know why for if you're trusting someone, and you go to a shock and they say it's not for you, it really must not be for you. There's a reason. You don't need to know the reason. What's the difference? So now you know the reason. So now you know why I said no, but I said no, it's not good enough that it's not for you. Or the other way around, it is for you. But I don't know, but it is for you. So you need to know why. If I feel it is for you, you ask me a question, you have to trust me. Of course, if it, if it is for you for good reasons, right, then that's not Lashon Hara, even though in Hilchus Lashon Hara it says you're not allowed to compliment someone. Because when you, when you, if I was to right now in this group compliment one of the girls in the group and say, you should just know like she's like my most amazing student, she's unbelievable, you'd all look at her and say, yeah, but there's something Rat Wallace doesn't know. <laughs> so when you compliment someone, you end up bringing Lashon Hara. So you're not even supposed to, you can do it privately, but you're not supposed to compliment someone in public. Yeah, what do you want to ask? Uh, I wanted to ask, like, oh, I thought there's, like, halachot where you're supposed to, like, compliment, like, say, like, to your wife, let's say, like... To your wife, and not in public. Like, oh, I, I'm very, I, I, you know, I go to all these bar mitzvahs, I'm sure you girls have been there, and Shevard Brachis, and the husband gets up, and he's talking about his wife, and... And I, 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 first I want to thank Hashem, but then I want to thank my wife. Without her, it was impossible. And he's talking, he's talking, but the close friends are like, what are you talking about? You guys don't need to talk to each other. Right? So, so, like, just thank your wife. Don't get into it too deep because, first of all, there are other people there that don't have such a good marriage. 
So now they're going to try to find something wrong to say. You have to... Ain't, ain't, the mission Pigova says there's nothing better in life than shtika. Don't, don't, don't. You know, I'm, I'm making a wedding. Do you, do you have your grandchildren walk down? You know, it's my last wedding. It's my fifth daughter, Mitzvah Hashem. I'm making a wedding. So do you have your grandchildren walk down? But there's so many people sitting there that are not married. And some people sitting there don't have children. So are you poking their eyes out? On the other hand, can you not live your life? You're not going to get pictures of your grandchildren walking down. So you have this, this balance. Like, do they want to give you an eye and horror? No, they don't want to give you an eye and horror. But, so, you know, it's, it's, it, it's quiet, shtika, covered. The most precious things in life you cover. You put them in a safe deposit box, in your closet, under the clothing, under the picture. So you have to be careful not to rip people's eyes out. Be careful. You're a kawa. You have single friends. Don't 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 take the ring and say, look, you know what he got me, because they don't have the ring. So you can be like, you, know, you can wear it, and they're like, oh, it's nice. Yeah, it's okay. You know, it's fine. But be very careful with that because jealousy. Good people have it too. It's a it's a it's a mida that we have since we're since the chait of the of the tree. So even good people sometimes, you know. Even I, and I try to work on myself, I'm not the biggest tzaddik in the world. You know, when I hear a guy gives a lot of money to another organization, it's like, why not me? Like, you know, I'm doing something good. How come I'm like, how come I'm struggling? And I'm not jealous. But, oh, I remember the story. Okay, good. See, the ADD, it just unwound. We're ending with this story. Listen carefully. See, Hashem led me to it. He led me to it. Sinna means hatred. Kinna means jealousy. Okay, kinna is jealousy, sinna is hatred. Kinna and sinna are going for a walk. Jealousy and hatred are going for a walk. They meet the king. The king says to kinna and sinna, whatever you ask me for, I will give you. Whatever the first guy asked me for, I will give you. The second guy will get double. So each one is saying, I'm not going to ask. If I ask first, he's going to get double. So they both stand there, nobody asks. They'd rather have nothing than the other guy should get double. Right? So, right, it, I'd rather have nothing than he should get double what I get. So the king says, if you don't ask me for something right now, you're both getting nothing. So Kinna, which is jealousy, thinks, says, I got it. I know what I want. The king says, what do you want? He says, pop out one of my eyes. And he loses both his eyes. Good. I'm happy. That's kinna. In other words, I don't mind losing one of my eyes if he loses both of them. That's kinna and sinna. That was the story I wanted to tell you. That's how far you can go. That's how far you can go. Which brings us to Abraham Lincoln, who said, who said, I cried because I had no shoes till I met a man who had no feet. I thought I had a bad. Look at this guy. He has no feet. He stopped crying. I didn't accept that story. That's what he said. I said, doesn't make sense. I'm sitting there without shoes. It's snowing. My toes are turning blue. I'm freezing sitting outside, right? I have no shoes. And this guy goes by on a wheelchair. And he has no feet. My feet are still freezing. Like, what'd you do for me? 
Because you have no feet. You didn't help my feet. So what does he say? Why did you stop crying? Your feet are still frozen. I'm a, I'm a crazy guy. I'm out of the box. I even ask questions on Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> What's the answer, girls? What's the answer? What was he saying? He's saying much deeper. He's saying that when I saw a guy without feet, I saw someone who never has the potential to have shoes. So even though right now I have no shoes, but I got feet. So in the future, I have the potential to have shoes. When you realize that even though you don't have something, but you have the potential to have it one day, it takes away the pain of not having it. And therefore, when a person has life, when you're alive, you have the potential of having what anyone else has. And that, even though you're going through a hard time, that should make the hard time easier. Because even though I don't have shoes right now, and my feet are freezing, but one day I will have shoes. That guy will never have shoes. He doesn't have the potential. I have life. I have the chance. And therefore, you appreciate what you have and you stop looking at what everybody else has. May we all be zaycha to greet Moshiach. It does say that, the Gemara says that after Moshiach comes, Kairach will come back and um, he'll be a big rabbi. That's what the Gemara says. So he made a very big mistake. He was based on jealousy. He was a very big rabbi. He was very wealthy. He was very powerful. He, his problem was he had no division. Everybody was equal. Everyone is equal. It doesn't work in the army. It doesn't work in the kitchen. It doesn't work in a family. All these guys that are preaching that your kids have to be equal to you, that's why we have our situation in our generation. Your kids are not equal to you. You are a parent. There's a pyramid. And Mitchum, one day they will be a parent. And they will understand, but then you, you know, with the time they understand, you went through all your agenda. There's a pyramid, and a parent is not a child, and a child is not a parent. Yes, a parent, again, a child has to earn respect. I am not into this, I respect you for what? What do I respect you for? I respect you because you're my child. I love you because you're my child. I respect you because you go to learn. I respect you because you go to school. I respect you because you have kibbutz of aim. I respect you because you have a relationship with Hashem. I respect you because you behave yourself. You earn the respect. But if you don't earn the respect, you got to earn your stuff in this world. I was brought up by a soldier. There's no such thing in the army. You earn your respect. You earn your, your stars. You earn your clusters. You earn your stripes. You don't just get stripes. You don't become a sergeant or lieutenant because you're in the army. That's what Koyach was trying to take away. Now we're all equal. And even though he didn't really mean it because he wanted the kahuna. So he didn't really mean that we're all equal. He was, he was trying to get them to join. And they liked that. Wow. We're all equal. We all can be Moshe Benu. No, you couldn't. They all died. Everybody died. The earth opened up and swallowed them all up. Hashem said, no, you can't. You're not a Kayin. He's a Kayin. He's not a Kayin. He's a Levi. He's not a Levi. Every person has to know their place and be the best that they can in their place. Thank you very much. That's Lacharabah. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.